Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining you on today's podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, it's been so long since I've talked to you last, Ryan. It's, it's yeah, been a, an a whole 24 hours, I think. More or less. <laughs> yeah, the uh, a lot of the editorial staff is at the virtual Sundance. You know, they're not, uh, you know, walking through the snow or sitting on the the shuttle buses, but they're they're busy watching all the movies. So, so I, I assume this is not the last you're going to hear from me this week, Ryan. <laughs> well, hey man, uh, I'm I'm here for it. Okay, uh, let's get to the news. Uh, you know, I always love talking about Star Wars stuff with you because I know you're a fellow. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, so th- so today there was some news that there's three new Star Wars games announced. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, basically it was some pretty big news coming from Lucasfilm today. Um, they announced, uh, along with EA, uh, who has partnered with them on Star Wars games for a while, that they have not one but three new games officially in development. Um, now, the first is not going to be too surprising to most people. Uh, we are officially getting a S- Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order sequel of some kind. Um, it is not clear if it's going to follow Cal Kestis again or if we're going to just do something else, but they build it as you know a new entry in that series. Um, we also uh, have a, a shooter of some kind that is uh, uh, untitled as of right now and a strategy game. Uh, what is particularly interesting is that Respawn Entertainment has been brought in to work on these games, and uh, they're the company behind, like, Apex Legends, which is a wildly popular game, sort of, uh, you know, mass online shooter type thing. Uh, Plus, for the strategy game specifically, uh, you have the studio behind, like, XCOM, uh, uh, so, you know, that's, like, a well-received strategy game. So we've got a lot going on in that department. Have we had, uh, you know, I, I'm not a gamer, so this is all like you saying these words. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know these companies. I'm sure everybody at home listening to this is probably not in that 
in that camp. But uh, when you say strategy game, have we seen a Star Wars strategy game before? Not that I can think of. I mean, there's been a lot of Star Wars games, and it's not like I've played every one of them. So I I would imagine that maybe something in the past ex- existed in that realm, but it's certainly been a while and definitely not under the Disney regime of Lucasfilm. Uh, so that would be completely new um, in, 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 you know, uh, in this era of Lucasfilm, I suppose. Yeah, and you, like you said, it's, it's obvious that the, you know, Jedi Fallen Order sequel, it was such a hit. I, I hear people talking about it all the time in my circles. I still haven't gotten around to play it because I'm just so bad at video games. Uh, but what would you like to see in a sequel? Would you like to see more of Cal or would you like to see a new character introduced? I mean, I love Jedi Fallen Order was, I mean, because like the Battlefront games were kind of what, you know, like I had my fun with the first one or whatever, but Jedi Fallen Order was truly what I think a lot of us were had been waiting for under the Lucasfilm Disney regime in the video game department. And so, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm uh, I'm okay with with whatever they decide to do because Stig uh, Osmussen is coming back as the game director. Uh, so, like, look, if it's Cal again, great. If it's a new story, great. But like, is, I'm just glad they're continuing that because it was so good. Okay, uh, you know we'll get to more Star Wars a little bit later in this podcast. But let's 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 jump to another part of space, and by another part of space, I mean our actual space, like the space <laughs> outside of Earth. Uh, there was a story last, I think it was last week actually, and we just haven't gotten to it until now. That they're apparently building a new film studio in our actual space. Okay, so here's the story. Uh, by the way, when I saw this headline, I was like, this is BS. This can't be true. And as I read it, I was like, oh, my God, it's true. Uh, Space Entertainment Enterprise, a U.K. company, they're the ones co-producing that ambitious Tom Cruise movie scheduled <laughs> to be filmed in space on the International Space Station, has announced their plans for a brand-new, wholly unprecedented film and television studio that will operate in lower Earth orbit. So this is going to be called... C1, or is it S-E-E-1? I think it's C1. Uh, This orbital studio would somehow be able to host film productions, television, music, and even sporting events, all while doubling as a one-stop shop for development, production, recording, broadcasting, and live streaming of content in space. So uh, they are planning to accomplish this feat by attaching their production module to the Axiom Station, a proposed space station that will... It's like essentially the private sector's international space station, so it's not uh, owned by the government. In fact, uh, this new space station will actually be built at first as an extension to the ISS uh, before they actually split it off into its own functional orbital platform and uh, these grand plan plans won't come to fruition until December of 2024 at earliest. This all seems super crazy to me. I don't know, like, I kind of wonder, like, what movies actually need to be shot in space? There, there, there's one part of this, and I want to hear from you in a second, Ryan, but there's... You know, obviously Mission Impossible films have Tom Cruise hanging from an actual building. Does he actually need to hang from the building? Is it necessary for the story? Could they shoot that on a, you know, 
a soundstage with, uh, you know, stagecraft or actual practical built sets. And could they accomplish the same thing? I think so. I actually don't think there's almost anything you're getting from filming on the largest building in the world. The thing that you're getting is the buzz and everybody at home thinking it's real. And it's that uh, suspension of disbelief that, like, we normally go into things and we're like, oh, that's a CG dinosaur. But if you go into the movie and you're like, oh, no, that's not a CG. That's a real dinosaur that, you know, gives you maybe a more of a thrill. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering what you, you think. Like, is there a actual benefit to shooting in space? I, I mean, we've seen with, like, Apollo 13 They in other films, they've used those, like, the... Uh, what is it called? The Vomit Comet? Is that a ship that goes uh, into a lower orbit? Or I forget exactly how it works, but it basically simulates weightlessness for um, a short time. And they've been able to shoot like small segments of films in there to like capture the weightlessness. But what are your thoughts? Like, do do they need an actual <laughs> studio in space? I mean. The obvious answer is, of course not. Like they don't. This is this is uh, this is like a whole new level of silly. And like you know, I have with the Mission Impossible stuff. Like I think if you're Earthbound and Tom Cruise wants to hang from a building, and it makes Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol that good, I'm all for it. But like when you talk about like spending the kind of money to make an actual studio infrastructure in space. I don't know, like, especially when you're looking at right now where one of my big things is I think, like, studios really need to evaluate, like, the the budget level they're making movies at and how they're spending that budget, uh, even with Earthbound movies. Um, you know, I don't know that you need, like, you know, maybe this one Tom Cruise movie filmed in space, like, that's a gimmick for a one-time thing, but the notion of creating, like, a whole studio in space to maybe do this as like a as like a consistent thing it just seems it seems it seems like the gimmick's gonna get old thin and the amount get old quick and the amount of money you spend on it versus the return i don't know um it seems like a lot to me it also seems i don't know i I guess space travel isn't as dangerous as it once was i mean there's a level of danger there like are you actually going to put is it actually worth putting a crew? Because I'm sure there's there has to be a camera crew. Does director go up there, or do they like direct from down here on Earth? Well, from what actor... I've heard, Doug Lyman, who's directing, I believe, directing the Tom Cruise space flick, like he's gonna go up, I believe. So it's just gonna be like him and Cruise. Yeah. But like, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, but again, like for me, it's just more of like a, you know, movies are a business as much as people don't like to think of it that way. Um, this doesn't make business sense to me, like, especially in the modern era, like, especially in, you know, cause I also feel like filming in space, you're going to have more compromise than you are like benefit. <laughs> like, the you know, what I could see, I, I could see like they mentioned, uh, and I made a joke about, um, they were talking about doing sporting events and music videos and stuff. And I actually could see them doing that more than they, they do movies. Because imagine, like, you know, the next, you know, uh, 2028, the new Netflix series, you know, you know kind of like a uh, Floor's Lava kind of thing. But now you're doing, like, things with zero G in space. Like, that I can, like, could totally see. But I don't, for fictional stuff, I don't. Why can't you do that here? I don't understand. Like, they're, like, it, it. 
The well, you can't do money, that here because you can't have people float in space, like for like a reality, like a but real. But you can make like is okay. But like if you can, if you can logistically send people to space to film a reality show, there's no <laughs> way. Like you can simulate zero g on Earth. I know there's ways to do that. I believe. Can you? Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be. A, <laughs> not only that, like your comparison to like the floor is lava. The reason that show worked is because it was a cheap reality show. Yeah. You know, like when you start talking about sending regular ass people to space to film a reality show, like the expense behind that, how do you, I don't know. I, I just, it, <laughs> this to me, like, again, my business mind, because I want to see movies and TV shows succeed and I don't like the idea of setting things up to fail. And I don't like the idea of funneling money from one thing that'll kind of kneecap other stuff. Like, yeah. so this to me just all seems like, sure, you make one Tom Cruise space movie. That makes sense on some level. But, like, to, to make this a regular thing, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the problem is the cost. The cost of put someone into space today is very, very expensive. Radically so, high. And then you couple that with, like, a production budget, which is high. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, like, you're having trouble... Like a regular ass Spielberg movie is having trouble making its money back. I don't know how. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you there. I'm not. I'm not sure there is a benefit for this, and I'm not even sure that this is is uh, actually going to happen. What, what do they call that when it's a product that uh, is a vaporware? <laughs> I feel oh, like this yeah, is. Yeah. I, I mean, I I think the Tom Cruise things uh, movie is going to happen, but that's going to happen on the International Space Station. But I'm not sure that this film studio in space is actually going to happen i don't know i kind of hope it doesn't and uh <laughs> yeah i don't know we'll see at least not see, i, I kind of hope it does soon. because some sometimes you need that like gigantic failure you need the the quibbies of this world to happen i uh unless you're roku i would argue you don't need quibby um uh <laughs> roku is the only one that benefited from quibby uh well and i guess a lot of famous people made a lot of money for doing almost nothing uh that's the other benefit of quibby but like that was you know um yeah. but we all had a good laugh <laughs> not at the show that was, was a hell of an expensive laugh <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. Boy, that was uh I, i'm kind of excited for the eventual like Quibby tell-all book or show, like oh, what'll that probably would be awesome. Well, what, I like guarantee you, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen, and like what's gonna the irony of it is it's gonna be made for a different streaming service. Like so, what's gonna happen is like you're gonna get the tell-all book, and then like <laughs> some like some other streaming service that has succeeded is going to pick up the rights to the Quibby show. Uh, so like that's <laughs> who's yeah. who's gonna play Jeffrey Katzenberg in that? I can't Boy. even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, okay, Who would play Jeffrey Katzenberg in the movie? Uh, Fun role, though. I mean, man, getting to get to yeah. chew that up with like everything that happened there. Oh man. Maybe John Travolta. After I saw saw what he did in um, American Crime Story, I, I think he could uh, do anything. So. Okay, let's let's move on to that. Let's move back. <laughs> you got me thinking about that. <laughs> Travolta's yeah. Katzenberg. <laughs> Yeah, let's move back to Star Wars for a second. Cool. Um, this is a story that came out last week uh, from a tweet from a Lucasfilm executive. Why, why don't you tell us uh, this bit of trivia that we learned about the the sequel trilogy? Yeah, so a lot of hardcore fans such as myself are probably familiar with the name Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, he is one of the heads of the Lucasfilm Story Group and... and uh, 
I think there was a point where he really liked interacting and, and speaking out on Twitter and then things got weird for him. And I think now he like, he'll post something and then delete it. And then, but anyway, so this is an interesting thing. He, he, uh, he, as in a sense, deleted tweet, uh, posted that, uh, in developing the force awakens, JJ Abrams, uh, director of that film, uh, wanted to, um, wanted the first order to destroy Coruscant. And this is presumably with the Starkiller base. And um, there was a bit of a disagreement. Uh, uh, he was uh, overruled, uh, you know, and, and the idea for Hosnian Prime came up. Uh, it was, as, a, as, as Hidalgo put it, basically J.J. Abrams wanted to blow up uh, uh, Coruscant. Uh, Lucasfilm didn't. Hosnian Prime was the unsatisfying middle ground. It happens, he said, you know, sort of so like... You know, in the movie, in the about the middle of the movie, Star Killer Base gets uh get gets going. They destroy Hosnian Prime, which is now the capital, I guess, of of you know the New Republic or whatever. And uh, Abrams had intended for that to be Coruscant, which comes with implications. And uh, Lucasfilm said, "No, we probably have other plans for that, so let's not." Well, Carson is like the capital of this galaxy, right? So when Ozzy and Prime blew up the first time I saw the movie. I thought it might be Coruscant. <laughs> like it looked very Coruscant, and it, it looked it, very Coruscant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because, of, and uh, actually, in that thread that's now deleted, he said that's because it, you know the concept art and stuff was Coruscant. Uh, but uh, I guess the problem came because the planet of Coruscant was needed for some other projects that were in development or he said something like that i can't find the tweet now because yeah it's but that gone. would be the reason right like like if you and not only that like even just from like a broad lucasfilm perspective coruscant is like a really rich area that hasn't totally been explored yet you don't think like especially because we haven't really gotten to the underworld of coruscant which was like but you be... can explore that all in pre prequel content right you could, but but what? But I guess like why? But like I I but I I I'm just saying that I can see why Lucasfilm yeah. would would have you'd be like you know you blow up Tatooine you blow up I don't know I'm just saying like there's these locations that have like a lot of rich storytelling opportunity and and I can see where like you don't remember it's a bold move to be like oh let's blow up Coruscant but like <laughs> I actually don't I don't think it hurts the Force Awakens that much that it was Hosnian Prime that blew up like I think you still get your story across and i think like the potential benefits of having coruscant still there for the future uh you know people might get cynical about my view on that but like i feel like that's kind of that that's where i i get it like i get i get the the move no i i totally see that viewpoint i guess for me i don't know that i love that movie i honestly love that movie but the third act of that movie kind of in some ways it has some of my favorite moments of that film and then at other points like has some of the worst moments of that film I, and uh, yeah i mean i love the like i the i love the force awakens like like nobody's business and the like i've said a million times the only thing that i wish had been different is that the big thing was not like just a bigger death star like other than that like like other than that like i love that movie through and through yeah. i love that movie um so I, I've said this in the past, so I'm not sure if people of, of the podcast have heard this, but the thing I think that they should have done, if they were going to do the bigger Death Star, which I, I agree, we don't need a bigger Death Star, 
But if they were going to do that, why not have this all build up to the point of like, you know, Poe and that group of resistance, like know how to take it out. They go to take it out right before they're going to shoot at Curson or Hazian Prime. And, you know, you put that part earlier, I mean, later in the film, because obviously uh, when they took out um, all those uh, politicians and stuff, that was like earlier in the film. So yeah. you put that later in the film when it's got, like they need to take out this uh, this bigger Death Star before they shoot and they fail. Like, I, I feel like the end of that movie should have been them failing. But, um, you know, in the end, you know, saving Ray and there's a win and a loss. Like, I felt like that would be the the way to do the same thing, but different and be a little bit subversive with things. Uh, I have too many thoughts for the limited time we have. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't think what you do with the force awakens, the first star Wars movie since revenge of the Sith, the first star Wars movie since the divisive prequels, the first star yeah. Wars movie under the Disney era is to be too subversive with it. I think part of what really works about the force awakens is that it just feels like star Wars and it's star Wars through and through. So well, I'm with you on of, that one. I, I, so I, I, I just think like if, if you're going to replay the same bet beats, do that, but then throw in like a curveball to what we expect is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm of two minds about it, uh, but I feel like largely I, like intellectually I agree, but like fundamentally I disagree. <laughs> like if that makes any sense. Uh, but yeah, like no, I see what you're saying, and and like I think that's ultimately, and I don't want to open up a whole thing here, but that's kind of ultimately where the Last Jedi goes and like subverting a lot of things. And, but I felt well, like that was too subversive, maybe for. I, we, we don't want to get too far. Into no, the last and I don't want to get in the weeds lot, on that. But but like, I know but, a lot but, of people love that movie, and I like the movie. I do have some issues with it, not the issues that uh, with Luke and all that stuff. But I do think it um probably to be it was too subversive. I think is is maybe one of my one of my issues i i think but, i think uh, the i think maybe the thing and i've talked about this a bit without getting in the weeds here is that like the last jedi does a lot where where it like a lot of people like me like i like i there are things that i love about it and things that i don't love about it but i think what's interesting is people like every star wars fan the things they love and don't love about it are all different so it's like this weird mixed bag of disagreements <laughs> You know, like, it's not, like, any one disagreement. It's, like, a lot of disagreements. And so, like, it, it's it's complicated. Yeah. But anyway, that's where subversion I, gets you. I will say about Pablo, I, I do miss him being on Twitter. I mean, he, he created this uh, private Twitter account, and he's uh, has some friends there. But, like, he, he occasionally will use the, his public account, which is where this was actually posted. Yeah. And um, he used to be so active and used to be, I don't know, I, I know the Star Wars fandom can be toxic at times. And it's so But especially for a guy like that. And that's what I feel terrible about is like the thing I think like most Star Wars fans are great. Star Wars fandom is largely great. It is a relatively small number of just awful people that are on very online that make it seem so awful. But like when you are in like a like if you ever get the chance to go to Star Wars celebration and you are submersed in like yeah. a large group of Star Wars fans, there is not it's not like you can smell toxicity. That's not really what it is. So it sucks that like that group of people got to a guy like Pablo who just loves this stuff. Yeah. And he's just so smart. And I wish 
I don't know. I feel like we've all lost something from him being afraid to put stuff out there. Like even he puts this out there and then it turns into news stories. And then like he, he did this tweet of like, you know, this is not news. And I was like, I even replied to him. I was like, Pavel, I love you, but this has not been out there anywhere. <laughs> like, this is like the yeah, first it's, time it's I'm absolutely, reading about it. <laughs> like I do think, but I think the problem is like where he comes, I don't think it, it's an issue for him that it gets turned into a news story. I think it's an yeah. issue for him that the spin and all the comments online. The spin is and, like, oh, J.J. Abrams and Lucas. Right, and so the spin, at, yeah. the spin becomes the spin within the news cycle becomes the problem with him. Like if you're yeah. just reporting like this is what was said, and it could just be that, then it's not an issue. But that's not the way this works. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our, our final f- story for today. This is a Christmas story. It's finally getting a sequel. And I say that as a joke because it's already had two sequels. But they're, Which I did but not they're know until last week. I did not know that until last week. <laughs> yeah, uh, Peter Billingsley is returning as Ralphie. Uh, you knew that he, he played Ralphie in the original movie, The Young Kid, that's the star of A Christmas Story. If you haven't seen A Christmas Story, then I don't know what to tell you. You, you mean Iron Man star Peter Billingsley? Yeah, Iron Man star and also producer. He uh, yeah. he went on to produce for Favreau and he produced Elf. So he's he yep. has a legacy of Christmas movies and uh, Christmas classics, I would say. Uh, this film's going to be called The Christmas Story Christmas, which... Eh. Does not <laughs> roll off the tongue well. I get um, it. I get it. It's going to be directed by Clay Katis, who did the Christmas Chronicles, the Angry Birds movie that doesn't instill any uh, confidence. It's from a, a script by Nick Sneck. I can't pronounce the last name. But you his know, credits I, are fascinating. His credits yeah, are what, fascinating. What is it, his credits? Gran Torino and the Mule, like those later era Clint Eastwood flicks. Yeah, why would you hire that person to do a Christmas story sequel? I don't know. Okay, so the story here is an adult Ralphie heads back to the house where he shared his family, shared with his family on Cleveland Street to deliver his kids a magical Christmas like the one he had growing up. Uh, this is from Hollywood Reporter, so this is an official synopsis. While allowing him to reconnect with Christmas friend or childhood friends, Christmas friends, <laughs> allowing him to reconnect with childhood friends, reconcile the passing of the old man, and will include, of course, call, callbacks to the initial film. So I'm guessing, you know, the lamp will be there and stuff like that. Uh, so. The original film, I'm not sure a lot of if a lot of people know this, but Gene Shepard, he's the guy that does the voiceover for the original movie. He he wrote the book In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, and it, it told stories from his childhood. And uh, sadly, he passed away in 1999. But basically, that was based on his childhood. And uh, like you said, you didn't know there were sequels, and there's good reason for you not to know there were sequels. Ryan, because in 1994, uh, the first one was My Summer Story, it, which took place uh, in the summer after the events of A Christmas Story. It was also directed by Bob Clark, the same guy that did A Christmas Story. Uh, Gene Shepard narrated that one. It was based on other stories from his book and his, from his uh, comedy. And uh, Charles Grodin played the old man. Mary Steenburgen uh, from Back to the Future 3 uh, played Mrs. Parker and Kieran Culkin. Was Ralphie. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it, I would not, I don't know, maybe I would, I would recommend checking out as a curiosity. Kind of, that kind of sounds sort of sandlotty to me. Like it sounds a little like you know. Oh yeah, they did that with the sandlot, didn't they? They did like those like direct to DVD sequels and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in 2012, they had a Christmas Story two, which was billed as the official sequel. It was directed by by Brian Levant. Uh, who did Beethoven, The Flintstones, Shingle All the Way. I can't believe that guy directed those three movies. That is cr- like, man, what a <laughs> what a niche that guy carved out in the 90s. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, in, in that movie, uh, Daniel Stern played the old man, and uh, Ralphie was uh, 15 years old. I haven't seen this one, but yeah, uh, the, the storyline is Ralphie is now 15 years old, and all he wants is a used 1939 Mercury 8 convertible for Christmas. And <laughs> I was looking, I, I have not seen this one. I saw a summer story, but I was reading the Wikipedia entry on this. It's funny. The, the whole story is like he goes to test out the car and uh, which he sees on display ramp and he accidentally causes the car to roll back and uh, a plastic reindeer on a pole falls and crashes through the convertible top so basically ralphie has to band together with uh flick and schwartz to raise enough money to pay the dealer back before fixing it before christmas so that the the car dealer won't have ralphie arrested and presumably thrown in jail (laughs) it sounds horrible oh boy that's uh okay (laughs) so yeah Uh, anyways um so they're making an official sequel now, even though there was already a, two official sequels. Sure, sure. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies from my childhood. I used to, you know, watch it all the time. Uh, Ryan, do you have any love for this? And do you do you think we need a sequel? Didn't watch it till later in life. Wasn't one that I saw in childhood. Uh, sure, it's a good, it's a perfectly good, uh, deserving of its legacy for sure. Uh, the only the only thing I really have to contribute is that uh, my roommate Max has a, a grandmother who gets a little loose with the credit card sometimes and she sends us weird things and one of the weird things we have is the christmas story lamp in our living room and uh all i can say about it is it's a very <laughs> useful lamp because it actually has like three different light settings so it's a very useful lamp if anyone needs a good lamp I recommend that christmas story lamp and, um, and it stays out all year long it or- sure does uh, it uh <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not really Christmassy. Like, it's a pretty, you know, it's yeah, a weird lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, look, uh, two single dudes. Live, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a lamp. I'm not going to put it out. Uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you want me to say? Um, uh, it, look, so I mean, my, you know, it's a good movie. I don't, I don't have like a ton of attachment to it the way that I have to like Die Hard or whatever. But you know, um, I. Uh, Sure, I think I think the I think there's if you look at like the landscape of legacy sequels though, like this could totally work. This could totally work. There's no reason this can't work. There's like it, it it's you know there's a there's a lot of like reclamation of like let's do away with the bad sequels and make a good one. No reason this can't work. Yeah, I I guess my hesitation is with Gene Shepard dead, so you don't have him to provide the voiceover, and also I don't think. I think they've already in mind. You get Ron Howard? Yeah, just I guess get Ron you could. Howard. Just do the Arrested Development thing and just have him do it. <laughs> but I also think they've mined all the like the good material out of, of, of for these movies. 
out of uh, his his book. Yeah, yeah but least, if you uh, just Christmas wise, if you just do like an original story, like if you if you decide to just yeah. sort of go off the beat, which it sounds like what they're doing. I again, I I I don't, and again, like I, it wasn't like a big thing for me, but like a lot of people love that Christmas Chronicles movie. So you know, I feel like you know you have a guy, <laughs> you have a guy that sort of was able to capture some imag- some Christmas imagination for people. You know, I mean, you've got the original dude. You've got, look, he seems like a strange screenwriter for this, but like, for what it's worth, I think Gran Torino <laughs> and The Mule are both pretty good movies. You know, like, so, I, 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 the, the, there's no cynic in me here. Like, I feel like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's see if it can work. Okay. Well, I think we've, we've hit the end of today's episode. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow with the, with the uh, Book of Boba Fett spoiler discussion.